We're back with yet another episode of the Court in the Field podcast. We got a good one for you guys today. Probably the one I've enjoyed the most. Join here today with my right hand, Sean Flan. What's your thoughts on that episode, Sean? It was really good. You know, I thought it was very um, informative as well as the conversation uh, had a lot of substance and, you know, it, it flowed real well, but I also think there's a lot of unique points and perspectives um, that were brought up and uh, it's kind of going to show that sports is becoming a game of analytics and, and if people aren't hopping on now, you'll be regretting in five years that you didn't. So it's, I thought it was really, really great um, perspectives that were brought up. Uh, Simon did a great job. Uh, we appreciate him coming on, but I think you guys will love it. You guys are going to love this when we got into analytics versus eye test, the NBA draft. This covered a bunch of topics, even for you Cavs listeners at home, his thoughts on uh, Evan Mobley and where he placed him in his mock draft and his draft board. Be a great episode. And it'll come right after this commercial break. All right. Welcome back, guys. Um, we have a special guest today, Simon Gersberg, um, founder, creator, starter, whatever the word is, of Shot Quality <laughs> um, Basketball Analytics website that has really taken off in the past couple of years. And, um, you know, he's just getting started in this area. And I know a lot of people, college levels, NBA levels, um, even high school levels are, are starting to use this database. So, Simon, we appreciate you coming on and, and welcome. Of course, I appreciate you having me. Absolutely, anytime. Um, just starting off, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know uh, the past year plus have been a little hectic for you. Um, I kind of been following your story a little bit, um, listening to a few podcasts here and there that you've done. But uh, just tell us a little bit about you, how Shot Quality got started. Totally, totally. So I'm still technically, I'm a rising senior at Colgate, uh, but right now I'm actually planning to take the, sem the year off or drop out fully. I'm not fully sure to go full-time on shot quality, but background on how shot quality started was I was a pseudo-manager slash data analyst for the Colgate basketball team behind the bench, basically grading shots for the assistant coaches. So I'd be watching the game being like, okay, that Jordan Burns pull-up is a 38% shot. That catch-and-shoot three is a 42% shot, just subjectively grading. It became terrible because I got really pissed off because I was, like, a fan and, like, obviously it was close to a lot of the players. I couldn't even watch the game because I was just, like, bored out of my mind um, <laughs> just writing these numbers down <laughs> in a clipboard. And then December break, uh, right before conference uh, schedule started grinding up, I found a way to automate an Excel just for the Colgate team matched up with the assistant coach's numbers who took it really seriously. Like he would spend two hours after the game, basically Dave Klatsky, he would basically check over my numbers on the clipboard, spending two hours watching the film. Uh, and once my automation numbers matched up with his and mine could go in two seconds, it obviously made it easy for us to switch on. So that was like my product test. And then this past season, I released it for all of college basketball, got 25 teams to sign up this year, hoping to get somewhere around uh, 75 is the goal. Absolutely. No, that's awesome. And at first, you know, this thing, new analytics, um, a lot of data stuff for coaches, especially probably two or three years ago when this first started, might not have been the best or there in their minds, like the best thing. How did that reception go, you know, for your coaches and for, you know, maybe other coaches around your conference or teams that you played that you kind of brought this idea to? How was that initial reception from them? Like in terms of like the old school like approach to analytics, is that what you're talking about more? Yeah, like like a little bit, yeah. But again, you you only know from your experience at Colgate, totally. so like just totally. fill me in on that a little bit. 
hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I'd say the, probably of the coaches I've talked to 15% of them are like new school analytical, like really like want every single data point they can to help their team get better. And then the other 85% is probably more like what leads to, I mean, both of them love this. And this is what I try to get at more is like, what's going to lead to actionable change for your team. So like this new, this new uh, feature that I'm going to be adding to the website pretty soon is basically, let's say you have a player, uh, let's just say Paul Scruggs or just somebody on the uh, Xavier team. What it'll output is basically three sentences describing how that player could become more efficient with these three changes. So basically if player X was better on the left block than right block, if he took 10 more shots on the right block, he would be this much more efficient and score this many more points. So basically just giving you exactly what like an old school, because an old school coach I think would respond to something like that because it's just like, it's just actionable. Like just do this. Like, why are you not doing this uh, compared to like, this data point here like this number here like i feel like that's when it gets confusing obviously for the old school coaches absolutely i think that kind of in a weird way it's taking numbers out of the number part of it exactly. and putting, just inserting words which i think people like you said maybe more old school people would like to see that um when did you realize that you know the shot quality thing actually can you know be something it's something valuable when did you realize that you know now it's becoming a bigger brand um when did that kind of click for you great question if there's, um, a, yeah, if there's even a time no there, def- a, there definitely a, was um i'm trying to think of like the first big team it might be uh the arizona team on like the uh so danny peters who's now the coach at xavier actually um he reached out to me i think last july and was like basically was like really interested in the product uh, and like wanted to sign up. And that was just like getting a Pac-12 team. I was just like, what is going on here? Uh, so that was crazy for me. And I was like, look at this product actually has some, has some run under it. And also like, but the first moment I'd say probably was just when I brought the automation to the actual Colgate coaches in that December break I was talking about. Uh, Cause they were just like, what the hell is going on? Like, how are you outputting all this from this? That was kind of when I knew I had something. And then from there, obviously it took a while to run with it, but. Absolutely. I mean, the whole Excel part of it, all the numbers, obviously it takes someone pretty smart and, um, you know, interested in in this to to do it. Um, When, like, what was, what is the, if you could say one stat that you look at, it's probably hard to say one stat, but, you know, stats that you look at now that are probably a little bit more important or kind of a, a, a judgment type stat when you're looking at players, um, maybe it could be three point percentage, free throw percentage, um, but even a shot quality stat that may, maybe not a lot of the listeners would know uh, that would determine kind of something within the basketball or shooting aspect of basketball. So, yeah, I think uh, the stat that I have, which I think is pretty interesting and it's, it's predictive. So obviously the way shot quality works, is even in small samples, it's a prediction of the future. So the stat that I'm thinking right now is called shot quality points per possession. It's just points per possession, but on a shot quality scale. So it's going to account for fouls. It's going to account for turnovers. And let's say your freshman has only taken 10 shots. Well, what the stat is going to do is basically predict out what his shot quality points per possession is going to be when he's at his 50th shot. So it's a pretty good indicator of like how efficient the player is overall, I think, um, incorporating as much as you possibly can into it. Gotcha. And what, like, is there, has there been any surprises along the way for you, like from the information that either you received from, 
you know, the input that you've been given and the, the information that you actually put in yourself or even just feedback from other coaches? Like, is there any thing that you've come across that kind of like, okay, like maybe I need to change my way a little bit, or maybe it's just a, a stat that you see that, you know, kind of jumps off the screen to you? Oh, all the time, all the time. I mean, like, basically, I recording with you guys earlier, like, the first three months of this offseason uh, have been just essentially calling the coaches that signed up last year. And there were a lot of features that coaches didn't like last year. There were a lot that they did like, but obviously eliminating the ones that they didn't like and then adjusting it based off needs that would be better. So, like, I had this lineup feature, which I didn't think was great last year. So I just deleted it, and I'm trying to add a new one with actual expected value. So, like, expected plus minus almost. So let's say you have a guy – let's say you have a guy who plays three possessions in a game. Um, and the opponent hits th three th contested threes on those three possessions. So he'll be minus nine uh, on the court. But in reality, they weren't good shots that they hit. So he really should only be like minus 2.8.7, whatever. Um, so something with that, I think utilizing like more indicative and context-based stats uh, should be more helpful for coaches this year. That's awesome. That's great stuff. I think, I mean, obviously, like you said, you kind of off the air, you said this, you kind of been talking to coaches and even there you alluded to it, um, especially this summer. So what during the off season, what is your job consist of? What are you kind of doing? Are you phoning coaches? Are you kind of making adjustments on the fly? A little bit of both. What's, what's the summer look like for you? So uh, a majority of it is, I'd say like 40% of it is product development. Uh, so getting all these new features ready for coaches that they ask for. Uh, 25% is, uh, like handling members on the team because recently we like built out like all these different divisions of shock quality. There's like data science, there's the sales reps, there's social media. So trying to handle and like oversee a lot of the different divisions is, takes up a good chunk of my time. And then finally, just, just honestly working on the actual sales. So like, just like, like you said, calling coaches, emailing coaches that had interest last year that didn't buy or whatever coaches that I find on Twitter and so on. That's, I mean, that's crazy. I, I, you, how old are you? 22? Uh, I'm about to turn 21. Okay. See, like I, me as a 21 year old would not have been able to do all this. So how, like, how has this been for you? Is it, I mean, is there times where it gets overwhelming? Is it times, I mean, what's it been like for you, you know, the past couple of years? Uh, I will say uh, I've had, like a few burnout stages, especially recently. It's been super overwhelming. Uh, it's good to have help, but also at the same time to like when to do it yourself and when to hand off. It becomes really stressful, obviously. Uh, but I'm obviously working through that. I don't know if you guys can hear the ambulance. It's in my New York City apartment. I don't know what's going on in the background right now, but hopefully everyone's okay. Where you no, living? I, what did uh, you say? Again, Where are you living at in New York City? I'm in the Lower East Side. A lot of sirens, though. No. <laughs> New York's <laughs> a different place. Um, that's great, though. I mean, you has it been expanding? Have you been able to, meaning like, have you been able to hire people that work with you? I know that you have, you have a podcast with your college roommate, I believe, who's a player at Colgate. Yes, I'm not yeah. Yep. Does he work with you? Like, how does who who do you have working with you or for you? Because I'm I hope it's not just you by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not. It's not. Uh, a few of them are friends from home that just wanted to get into it. Uh, and then a lot of them are just. This is like the most interesting part. It's like a lot of people reach out to me on Twitter, and just be like, "Hey, I want to help. Like, I don't really care if you pay me, but like, I'm just really passionate about what you're doing." So 
it's kind of like incredible that that happens uh and i don't have to like because i don't really have much money yet to pay them anyway um so that so that's pretty great that that works out that people want to work uh and do it obviously uh but yeah so right now we have like 12 members on the team a lot of them are like very part-time but 12. i think it's interesting because uh this past year i I don't know sean told you i came back to syracuse uh for my master's in broadcasting and like one of the biggest like I guess you can say departments that uh, the kids wanted to do was analytics, like sports analytics specifically. Yeah. Five years ago, they didn't even offer this program. So it was like weird as hell. Well, not weird, but it's like kind of awesome to see like how much yeah. industry is like taking off. And as someone who uh, played ball at Syracuse, it was kind of a negative, it had a negative stigma, like for like the I was, like, first two or three years there. And then my last year at SU, uh, I think we kind of, football wise we kind of leaned into it a little bit more but even then though like you alluded to earlier it's it's still it's like some give and take on how much like coaches and and everyone in in general want to buy in uh with analytics in general totally and i think the it is really interesting like the sigma i mean this might be a little cliche but i would say like moneyball probably like popularized it and then having the confirmation of actual teams succeeding using analytics like astros and baseball pretty much NBA, every single NBA team, maybe you could say like the Rockets failed, but you could, the Rockets, the Warriors. <laughs> um, and then in football, it's probably the Ravens. I guess they didn't totally succeed with it yet, but um, you could see teams that have succeeded, like have done it. And Alabama this year, I think was probably like the best personification of that in college basketball. They lost too. So I guess it's a bad example. But <laughs> well, I think it's a great point because, well, you could tell people that are the old school guys that, well, it's becoming part of the game now. You don't need to use it for everything, but it obviously is helping. Look at these successful teams. Look at these you know, players that are using it to improve their stats, improve their game. So it's a little bit like you're kind of doing now with, with the new, um, your new update of adding more words instead of, instead of numbers. It's just kind of how you can appeal to your customer, I guess, and, and to get more people involved, which I think you're, you're doing a great job, obviously, of. But one thing that I need to say too is my, so my dad is a high school coach, basketball coach, CJ and I played together. So our senior year of high school, we, we, uh, we were pretty big into analytics that year and we were a smaller team, um, mainly shooters. And we went to a layups and threes and own and layups and threes only and a, shooting under 15 seconds type shot clock type deal. And I mean, I w- we weren't great. I think we might've exceeded our expectations, but looking back, I would say, what was that seven years ago now? Like maybe that was a little, maybe that was a little too extreme as saying a, no twos at all, unless it's a wide open or not a, a layup, a hook shot or something on the block or threes. But I need mean, to kind of goes to show that you know people in high school use it you know it's starting to seven years later we actually have somebody that's doing a a database for it that you know can track it much better but you know we maybe were a little extreme I guess from that perspective. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it's crazy and, and he actually so he actually wanted me to ask a few questions um at the high school level um what is there any way or any suggestions that you have for tracking you know shot quality metrics or you know, just any standard type of, you know, shot quality, uh, you know, metrics or, or, or equation. Yes. So I get this all the time, actually. Uh, the, the way I say, obviously you can't do like my formula doesn't really work yet. Um, 
because I just don't have like the data. So yeah, I, I want to move to high school eventually if I can. Uh, but the way that I've, I'm sure, I don't know if your dad has heard of this. I assume he has actually. It's like the zero to five scale. There's actually some coaches in college basketball that use it. Basically a zero, it's a dead ball turnover. A one is a live ball turnover. A two is like a contested off the dribble three or long mid range. A three is like a floater uh, or a short mid range slash decent three. A four is like a great catch and shoot three or a foul drawn. And I think a five is wide open by um, basically just like simplifying and making it a little more rudimentary, like the scale that I have. So like I've heard, so I think Joe Mantegna, the coach at Blair was the one that told me about this uh, originally. And it, it works obviously. And like, you, you can see like, Oh, we want to average more than a 3.5 uh, in this game. That would be like your shot quality. If you average it out, I don't know. Uh, I don't really know too much about the scale, but I, I would definitely suggest doing something because obviously just judging result based like just judging your results, I mean, I could give the example of the Bucks in the NBA Finals. Uh, during game two of the NBA Finals, Bucks were down 2-0. But in that game two, the Bucks dominated the quality of shots. They lost by 12, but based on the shots, they're supposed to win by 10. So that was a perfect example where they didn't need to change anything with their game strategy. They had it. They, they changed their game strategy from game one to game two. Uh, and then right after that, they won the next four games because they stuck with that strategy and the process caught up with the results. Uh, so I definitely suggest that some sort of shot quality or something i think that's actually a really valid point that you talked about like not being results based i guess you can say because there's a bunch of nba teams you know the lakers they're not they're not alone these are chasing spacing right and then everyone's like well the bucks like didn't shoot well from three in the in the nba finals but then if you just look at like how no matter even though they didn't shoot well the floor was still so spaced out because of the guys were expected to hit those shots yep that's a uh interesting thing that analytics kind of provides that once again the narrative surrounding it is is I guess it's toxic because I think people don't know what they're talking about I guess they just see the word and just get scared of it I guess you can say and just and are fearful, fearful of it but instead of actually understanding what's going on and I think that's a when you said result, results based that's the first thing that came to mind for me definitely yeah. and I think with like the, the stigma with analytics like I'm really trying to like like I get more excited getting on a call with a guy who doesn't believe in analytics than a guy who does believe in analytics, just because I just feel like, I feel like the data, like I'm trying to provide right now is tailored for both. And it's easier for the heavy analytics guy to be like, Oh yeah, this is great. Like I should have been doing this before, but the guy who isn't like, that's who I want to target almost. And that's the guy I want to be like, Oh wow. Like this is just simple for me. Like I don't even really need to like be overwhelmed by analytics and number i'm throwing i guess the podcast you can't see my fingers but i'm throwing the little uh, <laughs> air quotes thank you <laughs> no that's a good point and from your opinion you could be honest or not how much more time do you think until you have 90 percent of you know college teams of nba teams on maybe not necessarily shot quality but something like shot quality if you, if, if you don't think that already is happening today? Uh, no, definitely not happening today. Uh, I'd hope like four or five years down the road. I mean, 90% is a lot, obviously. There's always going to be people that are um, shy away. But honestly, like, especially it's not that costly um, of a product, at least this point in time. Mm-hmm. Hopefully five years, but who knows? <laughs> you would think, right? You, you would think that, you know, people at, at – these levels of, of basketball would probably understand that it's beneficial for them to <laughs> at least pay a little bit of attention to it. But CJ talked a little bit about the M- NBA draft. 
So I do have to ask, I know I saw you on Twitter um, on the shock at shock quality. I believe that's what it is at shot underscore quality. Yep. Uh, we're Cavs fans. You had Mobley as your number one guy. You, for us, for the people listening are mainly from Cleveland. So give us a little bit of information as to why you like Devin Mobley and, and how he came out as your graded number one guy. Yeah, so I think it's simply like, I think he could single-handedly revolutionize the defense. Uh, I think they re-signed Jared Allen, and that's just like indicative of the fact that like this guy could literally guard probably two to five on the court successfully. And what were the Cavs in defense already? Probably like bottom five in the league I just, or something like that. I'd expect them this year to be like either average or to top 10 just based off Evan Mobley's addition. So like a guy who's going to be that impactful defensively and then have the potential playmaking upside at 7-1, I just feel like like in his field too, he's a great passer. Like there's really no downside maybe unless you say he's not going to become a great shooter, but I think he could be a good shooter at least. Um so I, I just feel like his defensive upside and his offensive upside, it's just like he's the guy that you could walk out of this track and be like, wow, this guy is a generational talent that could win multiple MVPs. And I don't think Cade's like that. And I think Jalen Green could be like that. And Scotty Barnes, probably not, but could be also. But I think Mobley's probably the safest bet um, if you're going to make who's going to be win MVPs out of this stuff. Now, that's a very interesting take. And Cavs fans at home, Look, we got some good news. Sounds like Mobley's the guy, so y'all can calm down. But uh, <laughs> but uh, interesting that you said that about Cade because obviously you two follow college basketball a lot more closely than I do, even though, I mean, as a casual, I, I love Cade and, uh, and he was fun to watch. But why aren't you as high on Cade as, I guess, the rest of the national uh, media? It's, it's basically, I think it just comes down to the fact that if Cade, if Cade hits, who is he? Like, who basically, which superstar in the NBA can you point to doesn't have that elite athleticism but has, like, everything else? Maybe Luca is, like, the best example. That's actually, like, the peak peak example of that. <laughs> that wouldn't happen, I don't think. Uh, like, maybe, like, Jason Tate. Like, I'm trying to think of his, like, 99th percentile outcome. And I just don't think it's as high as Evan Mobley. Um, so if I was picking out one, I would just always go with the guy with the highest possible ceiling. Gotcha. It's almost like the new, I feel like the new word in, in the NBA is like unicorn, like just someone that's just completely yeah. different than everybody else, but at the same time can do everything, you know, offensively and defensively. I think Porzingis, unfortunately, was like the first person that we think <laughs> the unicorn that took that and it's not working out well, but uh, we'll take, I mean, I, I love Mobley. I think it'll be great. So hopefully uh, that works out. Uh, um, a question, yeah, I I'm going to cut you off, Lan. So we've talked about guys at the high end of the draft. Who didn't? Who, what is a guy that you thought you were high on, but didn't go as high as you thought they should have? Jaden Springer. I thought he was filthy. I, I think he's going to be really, really good in the NBA. And I think like, he kind of had a bad fit on the Sixers because almost Tyrese Maxey is almost a pretty similar player to him. And I think Tyrese Maxey is going to be really good too. Uh, so that was a little frustrating. Springer and Josh Christopher, I thought were like the two guys that were definitely undervalued in the draft. Uh, that had a really high potential outcomes, both under the age of 20, both really good finishers and both have shooting potential. So like, that's like the three things that I'm going to look for, for, I feel like for a prospect, like if you can finish and create your own shot, that's the, and do it efficiently. That's the number one thing. Are you below the age of 20? So you have potential to grow and are you a good free throw shooter? So do you have potential to shoot down the road? And I feel like they both hit that, hit all three of those check marks. So that's why I love both those guys for sure. And they went like late twenties, I think. 
Yeah. Do you, do you mind talking about the um, the way you use the you know the contested layups or the lay, like you know your 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 statistic or your metric for that? Because I found that I think you mentioned something about um, you know the previous year's draft that you kind of use that and it was like maybe a misled uh, statistic for OB Toppin or something like that. But oh, I half court half court drives. So yeah, what what is, what is for people listening, even myself that are not very familiar with it, is the, the contested drive or the, the driving to the hoop for a shot, what is what is that? Yeah, so the stat was basically unassisted drives to the basket in the half court. So Obi last year was an insane finisher. He was like 80% on these shots, basically. Uh, not those shots, 80% on just drives to the basket. But this year I tried to like subset it to just have half court offense because in a, an NBA offense, and this is just like there's more transition than college, but like right. when it gets to playoffs, it's, dude, that guy's not going to be successful, obviously. Um, so half court offense and then unassisted. So like creating your own shot, basically. Uh, and Obi last year still would have graded pretty well, but not even close to as well as he did. Uh, and I think I was overvaluing him last year just because he was so efficient on those cuts, which are pretty hard to replicate at the NBA level compared to Dayton in the A10. Yeah. I mean, that is a good point. He was a man amongst boys in the A-10, too. So Exactly. Uh, but kind of shifting a little bit, um, do you see any uh, specific basketball trends that are kind of coming about within – that you see from the shot quality stats? Do you see any, you know, coaches asking specific questions um, that become more recurring, I guess? Or is there any more just basketball trends that you, you notice from being a fan? Uh, yeah, my favorite trend that I noticed last year was there was one point in the season where 11 of the top 15 teams in the country were basically all in the top 20 of all of college basketball and defending finishing around the hoop. So basically, I think three-point <laughs> shooting – I actually had a conversation with, with uh, Trey Scotty, the former uh, Dobo yeah. with Xavier. Uh, because, like, I think Xavier was a perfect example of last year because you guys didn't have a lot of bigs, but you were still, like, in the at least at some one point in the season, were second in the country in defending finishes around the hoop. Um, it's not like you guys, you guys didn't have one seven footer, right? Even no, we didn't, we didn't play a seven footer. No. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was really intrigued because <laughs> defending the three basically is it's not a uh, it's kind of a noisy stat and it's very rarely predictive because it really just depends on who's shooting the three on offense. But defending the paint is actually something that like could be defensively schemed up either in practice or with having obviously a seven foot big, like Roy Hibbert type-esque. Uh, but a guy, a team like Xavier last year, uh, I found really interesting because you guys didn't have that seven foot big, but were still able to manufacture such a dominant interior defense. And basically Trey was just telling me it was like a lot of like the practice um, schematics that you guys ran um, with protecting the paint. But yeah, no, the, the trend between defending them, I don't even know where I was going with that, but the trend between defending the paint and uh, winning was like something that totally stuck out last year. It had like the highest correlation by far of uh, anything in college basketball last year. That's pretty, I mean, that's that's a pretty incredible, especially now that the Cavs got Evan Mobley, another rim protector, okay. another interior defender. But I mean, I guess that makes sense too, though, if you think about it from the easiest basket as probably an open layup and you know if somebody that is a seven footer that can contest that at all times you know you're probably gonna end up being pretty 
plus in that category. So that's pretty Texas, interesting. I have to ask because Colgate is right down the road from Syracuse or up the road. I don't know what the hell the map is on the map. <laughs> but how are we in terms of analytics? Or one is Beheim, uh, because I know he's been up there and okay, so he's not he, okay, so he's not okay, but so how are we like, <laughs> when it comes to like the analytics? Are we like because I know we shoot a lot of threes, but I feel like that's because we don't have many guys who can uh I guess you can say can get to the cup. So like, and I know that two, three zone is probably like hell to like kind of put in like in a database, but like how is a team like Syracuse analytic wise? So you guys were great guarding the pick and roll. I'm looking at the stats right now. Great guarding the pick and roll. Um, but in terms of analytics, I actually like, I was never able to get in contact with anyone on staff. I talked to some like reporter, uh, one of the like Syracuse, like athletic reporters, uh, Matt, and he was telling me basically like, I don't even think Coach Beheim uses like Kempom. Like, how do you not use Kempom? Like, like, I don't even think their staff uses Kempom. So, uh, it might be a little tough to get through to them. But if I get them on the phone, maybe I can help them out a little bit. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but in terms of analytics, I feel like you got they were like, it's not like they took terrible shots. And it's interesting because that example I just used about how it's hard to predict defending the three. Syracuse is actually the only example in college basketball where they consistently defend the three well because of their zone, because they have this scheme that's consistent. Um, so that's why I was one of the little interesting analytics a bit with them. Well, you got your hookup right now. I know he was a football player, but I mean, he's got some, you got some basketball connections. We, I mean, I don't know if Bayheim will listen to you yet, but we'll figure something out. <laughs> talk, talk to Buddy. We'll do something. Yeah, I'll get in contact with Buddy and we'll see what. Uh, <laughs> I think buddy, Buddy's drowning in his NIL money right now. He ain't thinking about that. <laughs> what um and his NIL money? What uh, what is or was there a moment or a coach or a person that you've talked to because of shot quality because of you know, um, the what what you're doing right now with with basketball? Is there somebody that you met that or talked to that you were kind of like, oh, this is this is kind of cool. This is pretty this is pretty awesome. Has there been someone or a moment like that yet for you? The coolest one, I don't know. The coolest one for me, uh, there's two really big ones. Both of them were last summer, actually. I got an email from David Griffin before the draft, which is pretty crazy. That was a crazy one. Yeah, that's a that's a Cavs guy, too, a former Cavs guy. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. That was pretty nuts to, like, just have that pop up on my screen. Then the other one was uh, Shaka was uh, – because I was pretty close to one of his old assistants um, when he was coaching at uh, VCU. He called me last year and like we just had this like 20 minute conversation before the season started. And he was just like, watch out. <laughs> I have the quote on my, on my computer. Let me pull <laughs> uh, he goes, Kempom must be getting nervous. Don't forget about us little guys when you make it big. <laughs> I was just like, what's going oh. on right now? That, that was, that was wacky. Um, that was a pretty surreal moment, but yeah. That's pretty awesome. I mean, Shaka now being a Marquette and a Big East guy, I'm supposedly I, I can't really like him, unfortunately. But no, he's <laughs> always he's always been one of those with the bigger name coaches. And then obviously David Griffin. Did he he was here when we won, right? Yeah, Cavs, I think 2016 he was still here. LeBron. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that might have been his second last year, last year. But is there so do you are you getting pre-draft calls from from the scouts or NBA guys every once in a while? Not really, actually. Um, I kind of, I kind of screwed up this past year. I didn't really set up everything with the prospect data. And I, this year, hopefully, if I get some time, I'll try to set something on. Because like it, 
I do have valuable data with college basketball prospects for the NBA. I just haven't really been able to like funnel it to NBA teams in like the right manner yet. So I have to figure something out with that. That's pretty cool. No, I mean, that's obviously a great story. And I'm sure there's going to be many, many more uh, moments like that to come. But speaking of that, like 10 years from now, even five years from now, whatever it may be, but in the future, where do you, what do you want this to be like? What do you expect it to be like? Like, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Hopefully I'm still doing shot quality. That would be the goal. That would be the mm-hmm. goal. I'd be and, the goal. Absolutely. And the way the trends are working, a lot of people will be, uh, will be using it. So CJ, do you have any more questions? I have a few. Maybe yeah, I, 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 I do got a question. Uh, specifically, you talked about it earlier with the Rockets and how I guess they're a failure in my eyes, they're a success because they damn near changed the entire NBA with how they've, uh, how they played under uh, D'Antoni. But I think it's funny how, to see how far the NBA has changed just in this past decade. You know how when people be like, oh, like back in the day, the game was so different. But like, if you just go back and like watch, I don't know, the 2010 NBA finals, it is told it was a different game to when it was this past NBA finals. And obviously, um, 2016 through 18 with the Rockets doing their thing. It was a different brand of ball. What is the next, I guess you can say, trend or next um, style of ball that you can see that analytics uh, will be have its, have its foot in or have its hand in, like, shaping, I guess you can say? I don't know if this will be it, but this is my dream. I, I've, I've touched it to a few coaches, and I've never been successful. I've never seen a team do it because it's kind of a crazy idea. But um, what I would love to see a team do, especially a bad, like, a team that, like, has nothing to lose, uh, a guy, this is not going to be a trend, but it could be something that's strategized <laughs> at some point. Um, the guy, the furthest from the hoop on a defensive rebound. So let's say the guy closing out on a three or just, or even the smallest guy in the court, the guy least likely to get the defensive rebound should instead trying to get the defensive rebound should just sprint forward. Basically like disregard everything going on with the play and just sprint forward. Uh, because I think basically the trade-off is you're likely, especially if you have other four good defensive rebounders with you, you're likely to get the defensive rebound and then your offensive proposition and your offensive efficiency will skyrocket because you'll get a transition layup or get a transition three almost every single time. Uh, and then the trade-off, I guess, let's say they get the offensive rebound. Uh, they're probably going to score, but I think you're more likely to get the defensive rebound with four guys anyway. So, I, I think it really makes sense, uh, especially for a team that uh, wants to be a little creative. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even think that's that's that of a bad idea. I mean, if you would have told a coach 20 years from now that, hey, you can take a pull-up transition threes from five feet behind the line, they would call you crazy for that shit too. So I, honestly, I, I'm not putting anything past it. Like, <laughs> I, just, I, I think that's a, that's a trend in like the old man YMCA leagues. They all exactly know. <laughs> yeah. exactly. No, but it is interesting though because like you said you're probably almost just as likely to get the rebound anyway and lead to a wide open three-year layup so and that'd be pretty cool to see i think that i you know who i think did it kind of is the uh the ball brothers when they played all together at like chino hills all i just remember seeing videos of them chucking the ball down the court yeah. and it worked they were i mean they were good but <laughs> it worked <laughs> totally totally yeah and i, I think like the example I use when I'll pitch it, I'll be like that guy that like the guy in rec basketball or YMCA, like the fat guy who just like cherry picks. He's the one who's actually <laughs> the one that's getting the layups. 
He's scoring. He's still scoring at the end of the day. Not <laughs> <laughs> in some way. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, so last thing, uh, do you want to do CJ? You want to do one more segment of the rapid fire? Of course. All right, Simon. Before we get, let you go, um, we do a rapid fire segment. Just kind of first thing that comes to your mind. We ask these questions. I had a few right in front of my face. Oh, here it is. Um, if you can't say it quick, that's fine. We've had guys talk for like three minutes per question. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Shout out to Cal. Uh, but uh, let me find it real quick. You can, you're good to go whenever you're ready. All right. So you get to choose one famous athlete to give a speech at your wedding reception. Who is it going to be? One athlete to give a speech at my wedding reception? Yep. Oh, um, Richard Sherman. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, who is or who was your role model growing up? Can I, can I say someone not famous? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Probably my dad. I'd say. That's a common answer. So that's right. That's the right answer. What is your biggest pet peeve in sports? Oh, this is good. This is good. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> it is a tough question, though. Sports, is there's a lot of them, too. So, <laughs> Like, for me, um, oh, you got it. You got it. Yeah, you go, Carl. Go, Carl. Let me keep thinking. Let me keep thinking. My biggest pet peeve is offensive pass interference. I mean, defensive pass interference is a spot foul in the NFL. Like, that shit pisses me off. Like, that, this is it's dumb. It is dumb. That is, that is really dumb. Uh, this is a very specific answer, but I've seen it for like 15 years now. A player on the Knicks isolating on the high post and taking a contested mid-range shot. <laughs> Either Taj Gibson, Carmelo Anthony, Frankie Nitekini, I don't care. I've, I've seen it for the last like 15 years, someone doing it. So I'd like to see that change a little bit. That's yeah, all right. You guys got Kemba Walker now. You'll be fine. You'll be- yeah. <laughs> I'm, hyped. I'm actually hyped for Kemba. That was a pretty good deal. I'm excited for for the Knicks because they're they were pretty good. You guys are pretty good, and now you got Kemba. So I mean, hopefully it works out. Maybe a little. I don't know. It'll be it'll be fun. But favorite team that might already be answered. But your favorite team? Yeah, got to be the Knicks. Definitely. Sidetrack real quick before we get back to the segment. I was a guy who thought like that whole the NBA is better when the Knicks are good was kind of like a dumb thing because from Cleveland, whatever. And the Knicks have never been good my entire life. But watching these last like these playoffs this past year. I kind of agree with that. Like the NBA, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> like when the Knicks are good. So that, that's- I was at I was at game two actually when they won. Uh, there was like a post game interview with like Wally Zerbiak and all the MSG guys, and me and my friends were like banging on the glass. We thought we were gonna like tear down the glass. <laughs> I actually thought like the garden was gonna get like burned down. <laughs> it was crazy. Everyone, everyone after the game when they won one playoff game. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome, though. Uh, who question is it? My is it me. I think it's you. Oh, it's me? Damn. Okay. Uh, if you could eat one culture of food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Italian. I'll, I'll go pizza and uh, pizza and pasta. Fair. So this, this kind of goes along with, see, you could answer it the same way if you want. Um, if you could eliminate one rule, one thing in basketball, just completely take it out of the game. It could be a call. It could be a, it could be a set. It could be an action. If you could eliminate one thing, 
it could be a, a layup. <laughs> I mean, what would you do? What would you eliminate? <laughs> um, that's a great question. Uh, or you could, or I should, I should, or add. Uh, I, Maybe I, if there's something you could add. Oh. Well, maybe well, that made say, it harder. <laughs> I was going to say either eliminate the charge, which was my eliminate, and then add. I would love to see the four-point line added. I think that would be sick, um, especially for guys. Like, I feel like that would make the game so exciting for guys like Dame Dollar and, like, Trey and Steph, obviously. Uh, but, yeah, eliminate the charge would definitely be for elimination. Man, yes, please. <laughs> I'm tired of coaches telling me, oh, no, I want you to get in front. No, that shit hurts. No. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called wrong 95 percent of the time anyway exactly that's yeah, exactly oh like it's never officiated right it hurts like no if i wanted to play football i would do that like no like <laughs> uh, another sidetrack question shot clock in high school sports i know it's in international and in, in fiba in college and the nba all these good levels of basketball there's a shot clock do you have any standpoint there's no shot clock in ohio I should say that. Do you have any standpoint of, you know, being an analytics guy? There's a shot clock. Are you all for it? Are you against it? You don't care? Is there any opinion? Well, I think the Elam ending is pretty interesting. Uh, but the – I don't have, like, a strong take on the shot clock. I saw something with Ken Palm posted something on Twitter the other day about, like, the games running too long. Like, I think it would be interesting, especially in college, eliminating – I don't know how to actually eliminate this. Uh, but eliminating like the late game fouling at the end of the games, I feel like that's bad for it's bad for betters first of all. It's bad for fans viewing the game. <laughs> it's bad for so many people. I feel like um, so that would be something interesting to eliminate as well. But I don't really know how the shot clock uh, could be used to do that. I'm not sure actually. No, I, that's good. That's good. I got two questions and I'm done. Uh, <laughs> one, you brought up betting, so like my ears kind of perked up a little bit. So obviously. <laughs> With you uh, being involved with numbers and analytics, has the number of people talking to you and asking you for advice gone up? Definitely, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not a big better myself, and I, I don't think I'm – I don't even know what I'm allowed to say with that stuff. But um, definitely not a big better myself, but I am really interested in obviously like how the shot quality numbers could be predictive against Vegas just because it's looking at process versus results, and all the lines are moving based off results. So that is an interesting proposition for sure. Got you. And then my last question, because I know Sean got a juicy one for his last one. Are you team? <laughs> are you team Shams or are you team Woj? Like who is? Who, like, <laughs> I gotta say, Loy, I'll, I'll stick with Woj. Woj, okay, for sure. That was a big thing the past couple of days with free agency. It so, was. Yeah. What is your thought? I mean, I last rapid fire question I have is: if you could go any place in the world right now, where would you go? Well, I'm going to California tomorrow, so maybe just maybe just where I'm going tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad answer. California is not – you can never go wrong going there. Um, but, Simon, I appreciate you coming on. You know, I you know you're busy and your, your schedule is very hectic, so we appreciate it. It was a very, you know, interesting conversation, a very informative conversation, honestly, for, all, for, for me. Um, uh, hopefully we can do this again. I appreciate it, and, you know, you know safe travels tomorrow. 100% was super fun, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you have a good one, my boy. I appreciate it. Yeah. So.